It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, welcome to Talent Talk. It is the first show of 2021. And now that 2020 has turned 21, we'll see if uh, this is going to be a better year or just more of the same kind of train wreck. But either way, we're excited to have some awesome guests. We have a lot already lined up here for the year. Talk about talent and talk about what talented people are doing. And of course, continue this conversation and dialogue around how the workplaces have changed uh, and many of the different services and innovations and entrepreneurship that's occurring all over the world based on these kind of constant and very uh, impactful changes to the world of work. So, you know, this is really what this show is about is having these great conversations and hopefully allowing you as the listener to, to peer in on a conversation that maybe I would have had as a one-on-one or I would have had at a conference if we were still doing that type of, type of thing, but instead leaving it here into the public forum and space so that you can hear it, you can learn from it. You might be able to take something back and use it in your own company, uh, at your house, with your friends, whatever that little nugget, little piece of advice might be that you may have grabbed. And if you really wanna get involved in the conversation, we'd love to have you be a part of our live tweeting on Twitter. Uh, you can go to at peopleg2 or follow the hashtag all one word talent talk and Angela, my social media guru, will be there constantly tweeting all the best uh, one-liners, all the best information, links to bios and books and anything else that may be helpful for you in listening to the show today. If you're listening after the fact, don't worry, you can still find that there. You can still ask us questions and be a part of that dialogue. Now, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is a bit of a distinction from a lot of other shows that are podcasts and things like that. We actually host this live. So our conversation is unedited. We don't uh, go back and change anything or start over. Uh, What you hear is is what you get in our real life sort of active conversation. And I think that part really brings a a great kind of energy to the show. But we know most of you listen to the the actual live show later on. You catch us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, maybe Spotify now is a really big repository of podcasts. So wherever you listen to your show, make sure you subscribe and that you have those alerts turned on so that you get pinged anytime that we have a new show available so that you can listen when you're on the treadmill or in the car or whatever it is you're doing when you're listening to podcasts. All right. Other thing that kind of comes out of this show is, as I mentioned before, the, the stories. And um, so many of these stories that we've had from, from uh, guests over the years have Landed on my first book, The Power of Company Culture, and I have a new book coming out this year called Remote Work. So if you're interested in either one of those books, you can find them wherever you buy your books online. Amazon is certainly the easiest. And um, there's, there's a lot of just fantastic stories about culture and work and remote work and everything that's impacting our lives with talent today. Now that we're done with the business, let me talk about who is on the show today. My first guest on the show will be uh, Jennifer Mackin. She's the author and authority on leadership development. Super excited to hear more about that. Principal and CEO at um, Oliver Group and Principal and President of Leadership Pipeline Institute. So busy, busy woman. I'm sure we'll have a lot to dive in there. And then after the commercial break, we're going to bring in um, Sarah McVannell. She's Canada's recognition expert and founder of Greatness Magnified. Uh, said she'll come in the second half, but let's go ahead and bring in Jennifer. Jennifer, welcome to the show and congratulations for being the very first guest of 2021. Uh, thanks, Chris. I love kicking off 2021 with you. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Hopefully hopefully it is a happy new year. We started last year off with such high hopes and then, you know, 
COVID came around and kicked our butts. But uh, no doubt, no doubt. But we can always start off optimistic until something else hits us. You know, what's so funny is like uh, so many people were like, the first day I'm really going to do it 2021. And then Slack had this largest outage ever. Right. And oh, so like gosh. people literally couldn't communicate with their teams and they couldn't work. And it was like, oh, all right. It's going to be more of the same. So uh, I know we just got to take it as it comes. Take it as it comes. Right. Yeah. You got to go with the flow. Yeah. So. You know, it was for us, it was a good opportunity. Like, okay, well, this is a good time to talk about maybe we should have a backup system. Maybe we should have something else in place just in case this happens again. Um, All right. Let's let's talk about you. Well, why don't you kind of fill everyone in on the work that you do, who you are, you know, what your company does, what's important for us to know about you and our for our conversation here today? Yeah, I, as I think about that, I've been doing a lot of reflection on 2020. Um, and I, I do that every year, but especially this year. And I've learned something new about myself. Um, you know, I didn't love many aspects of that this past challenging year. Um, yet what I realized is I'm really a change agent at heart. You know, I really like challenge and complexity. And our organization works with companies that really like to see change happen. And they like to make sure that their leaders are ready for whatever is coming in front of them, whether it's innovation, whether it's crisis, you know, whatever it is. And so I love the leadership development challenge and it is a challenge, right? Because it's a lifelong learning journey that everyone's on. Um, and so I've, I've dedicated my career to help individuals, to help companies, which then ultimately help their communities to be best, the best leaders they can be. And so every service that we provide is around helping leaders be most effective, which helps them and everyone that works with them. So that's a little bit, a little bit about me. One of the things that was interesting that I'm kind of preparing to have you on the show is this, this concept that you, you talk about in, in your book that the U.S. has been developing leaders the same way since the 1960s. And, and maybe there are some, you know, clear examples of a few variances, but I think, you know, in general, you're right, right? The, the general approach and the overall approach, the sort of, you know, traditional wisdom has been relatively consistent. So what, what is that way? What, what, what are we talking about here when we talk about that, that actual leadership development that has been pretty consistent since the 60s? Yeah, so it's not so much about a problem with the programs themselves and how we deliver them you know, the content doesn't need to be a whole lot different than it was in the 60s. The way we lead today, we still have to communicate properly. We have to coach others. We have to, you know, um, help them understand what, what direction we're going in, things like that. So the bigger problem is with the C-suite. And then the C-suite team doesn't see it as their responsibility to develop leaders and they aren't really involved like they need to be in whatever development is executed. So there are, are really four things that I believe are important that ensure that development sticks. And that is that the strategy of the business is tied to the people plan and to the leadership development plan. That's number one. That's the biggest, biggest and most important thing. But then also that leaders throughout the organization guide the development of other leaders. And so it, it's done at a corporate high level, but then every leader sees it to develop people, which that tends to take a backseat to the functional aspect of each leader's job. Third, we've just got to practice and reinforce the, the, the knowledge and the skills that we give leaders. Often we come back after learning something new and it's just the same as we've always been doing. And so that's that's really key. And then lastly, I really think we have to learn together. And as hard as it has been remote, Zoom, WebEx, other applications are making it easier sometimes to get together and work together. So I think leaders need to learn from each other and we need to have some face-to-face -face interaction, even if it's through technology. So those are some of the, the areas. And I think, you know, we have some companies that are starting to think about development and others that are more advanced and, and 
and are, are just working on tweaking it. So wherever an organization is, making sure that that leadership team is very involved and that they see it as their responsibility. That's what I think needs to change and that'll create the revolution. So let's talk about what that responsibility means because yeah. you know I think some people talk about, well, does that mean it's their job to do it? Does that mean it's no. their job to make sure it happens? You know, I know a lot of really great people that are in this in that C-level role. Some of them are great teachers. Some of them are perfect for that. Others of them um, are would be the worst person I would ever want to be trying to teach leadership to somebody else, even though they're like really, really awesome at the job that they do. Yeah, um, no doubt. You know what I mean? So there's a, there's a yeah. disconnect there. I think I've seen where this happens on a really consistent, good basis. It's that they make sure it happens. And then number two, that they give them the opportunity to go and do it, right? Like, and sort of decentralize the company more into teams, right? So that that person can go and has a team and can can lead a group of people instead of, I guess, trying to lead based on someone else's values or someone else's lens, right? And I guess it's almost like if someone told me to go go teach someone French and I'm like, I don't know French. And they're like, yeah, but you have, this yeah. is your job, go teach them French. Um, you know what I mean? Like there's a disconnect there as opposed to go teach them what you know. What, what do you think right. about that? No, I think you're exactly right. I think that what's happened though is the total other extreme has happened from being involved themselves to delegating all of this to human resources and the leadership development teams. And they don't see it as their role to be involved at all. So responsibility to me means for the leadership team to to drive it you know to set the standards of all right our strategy says we need leaders to be able to do xyz is our development plan for those leaders does it include helping them be the best at xyz so you know they're responsible for the execution of the business plan and who executes the plan leaders execute the plan so making sure that they're ready and they're, they're ready to do that is their job. So connecting the dots between development and where the company is going, driving that and making it a culture of where learning is accepted. Learning is just part of what we do. I think it's so hard for leaders to say they don't know something or I need help with something. And so if there's a culture where that's okay, and that's just part of how we grow and develop, and that's why it's a lifelong thing. We can't say we've ever arrived and we're the best leader out there. It's just, you know, it's a developing process. So that's where I, that's what their role is, is not to completely delegate it, but, and be involved and support it by maybe coming into some of the development programs that are done and, and have a few words about the importance of it you know, and, and giving them the time to um, focus on development. So those are some of the things I think could be a middle ground between totally delegating it and seeing it, and the other hand being their responsibility to do it all. What do you, you think what that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, so there are so many things that, let's just say senior leaders in general, not just C-level, but I think senior leaders um, are asked to do and have so many things that they are, initiatives and just the general work. And I, I think they're generally asked to manage too many people. Um, and there's all of these mm -hmm. ridiculous annual reviews and surveys and things like it's just this minutia of junk. Um, I know when I go and work with a company, I tried to declutter first with them and try to what can we get rid of that we don't need, but then go to them and say, now I need you to be more involved with this right now. I need you to 5% of your time, you know, should be leadership development or having these key conversations or whatever. But if you do it in the reverse, it's like, here, here's one more thing I want you to do, senior person. And then they just, you know, they can't do it. It's just too much. Do I, do I yeah. have this nice leadership conversation with John or Susie who may or may not be a leader here one day, or do I like deal with this million dollar client who we might lose, right? So- the, Exactly. The, right. Yeah, prioritizing, you know, the way, the way that, that I would say, time can be freed up to do more of this is by preparing the people that report in, in the whole senior level if they prepared the people that report to them to do more on the functional aspects of it they could do more of the people development 
because I think a lot of leaders are, are really working at a level below where they should, as opposed to readying the people that, that work for them. And so then they say, I don't have time. And when you dig in and look to your point decluttering, when you get in there and look at what they've got on their plate, they shouldn't have a lot of it on their plate, or maybe it's not priority. So helping them see through that is, is a great, a great way to help them work at the level that they should be at the highest level they should be. Are there any other reasons that maybe, you know, leaders aren't more directly involved in training? I mean, is this, do you get to a certain size of a company and it just becomes HR's responsibility? It just becomes, you know, we, we've created a department and so it's their mm-hmm. job anyways. I mean, is that part of it or is there, are there other factors in play? Yeah, I do think that's part of it. Um, they consider it kind of this HR handoff and, and, it, and, and that goes to really making sure that every leader sees that that's part of their job. If you look at job descriptions or you look at development plans for leaders, how often is there competencies that are required or pieces of it that are about developing other people? It's usually about the financials or the process that they're responsible for, things like that, and less of the people. So I, I don't think they see it as their job, believe it or not, to develop other people. So I think that's a big problem of why they're not involved in that development. And then you've got the time restraints that you and I just talked about. And then I think the biggest reason that leaders are not as more directly involved with developing their people is they don't know what to do. And it's kind of to your point of they could be a great leader, but maybe they're not effective at at developing other people. They don't even know how to do that. And we're not taught how to do that. If you think about the college classes, even in business that we take or graduate school, there's not a whole lot about how to coach other people, how to develop other people. And so that's missing. <laughs> it's all accounting and economics. Yeah. And it was sort of yeah. why I stopped. I, you know, I was in at a business degree. I was going for one and I stopped because I hated the classes. I mean, it was yeah. so just, you know, stuff that I didn't think was important. It was important, but not important for me to know to go and run a business. And later on, it was, I focused on all the people stuff. Yeah. Somebody else could, could, could create the goals and supply and demand and, you know, and debits and credits. And like, that's just stuff that I didn't need to be a master at, you know, and if you think else about could. the people that the people that go back for advanced degrees, they want depth of understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and I also received my MBA and felt similarly in a lot of the classes either, oh, I could read this in a book and be good. You know, what was missing was a lot of how do you mobilize a group of people? You know, we did a little team development in classes, but not, not really about how do we, how do we lead others? And, um, and so I think they're changing that a little bit, but it really is, it is a big ship to move to get large institutions to change their curriculum. In that way. Yeah. And well, I think there- I saw a figure of like seven years, people are, people are leaders for seven years before they get any develop or any sort of development on how to be a leader. Where else do we do that? Where we put someone in a role, but we don't tell them how to do it. You know, it just yeah. surprises me. You know, we, we, we've developed a couple things. There are clearly some people who have taken on this role of being a leader from very early on and they have a lot of practice. I mean, I was always the captain of every team I was on. I was, I was like annoyingly a leader all the time, but that's not most people. And so when I realized that, cause I was in, in, sort of always looking for that person to hire. And I realized that that's not a consistent thing. Um, that instead what we had to do was find great people who had the ability and had the desire or had the, you know, capabilities to be a leader, but to your point, weren't necessarily trained that way. Right. And what we did is that we got, gave them opportunities to be a part-time leader. And I think this is where our organizations make a big mistake is they take someone who's great and who has talent, who has all the potential in the world. And they go, you're really cool. Guess what? Now you're a leader all the time. Now you have 15 people report to you. Right. In, instead of how about you ha- how about you do this project? How about you have this one responsibility and you manage some of these people for this project, some of that, let's see how you do. Let's see what questions you have, try it out. I've had people that said they would never be a leader. They never want to be in a leadership position. They did part-time leadership and they became leaders. Other people did it and they were like, I'm totally right. I know I'm not in it. And the people we thought would be great 
they were terrible at it. And are you willing to accept <laughs> help or maybe you're gonna have to go backwards, right? Yeah. Is that a good approach? Are there other approaches you think organizations need to take? You know, uh, yeah. you know avoid the sink or swim sort yeah, of Yeah, I see what you're, I, I like this, um, you know, dip your toe in the water, so to speak, a little bit um, that you're, you're suggesting. I don't see that done very often. But I think the key is that when people start their careers, if all organizations could lay out different various paths of success for them. So what does it look like to be successful? What is a leader? What do we, when you become a leader, what are the expectations? What does success look like? But if you're not a leader and you, you're an individual contributor, you're a specialist, you could go that route and what success looks like there so that individuals can opt in to things much better. They make better decisions on whether I'd want to be a leader or a, I'd rather be a specialist if they know what that looks like, because you don't know what you don't know going into your career. So you go to a leadership role because that seems to define success for a lot of people. So I think we have to set the expectations, let them know what it looks like to be a leader in different areas of the business, and then help them create a development plan to get to that next step for them, whatever that is that they're interested in. What does that look like? What do you need to know? Who else would you want to mentor or, or mentor with and talk to and learn from? You know, so it's taking this active approach before they take a new position of what's available to them, you know, and how to do it. Yeah. Well, have you seen sort of this, um, maybe a new change we've talked about for a lot of years about how millennials want leadership to be different from what the previous generations were seeing. And then we, now we have even more in the workplace, yeah. we have new generations in the workplace. What are you seeing right now around the generational, you know, sort of lens about what's expected from leaders? You know, I think that um, all people, all leaders, it hasn't changed a whole lot over the generations, Chris. I think that millennials, what's different isn't that they need something different necessarily. They have just come to expect that they will be developed. They are, they are demanding that part of the workplace needs to be to prepare them. You know, mm -hmm. that it, it's just kind of this expectation they have, whereas previous generations never had those expectations. It was just a, almost a reward to be developed versus an expectation. So it's a style difference that way. And I think 87% um, of millennials say that development opportunities are very important to them. And they also want nonstop feedback that came from a Forbes study that I recently saw. And so they want opportunities and they want to be, they want people to share, how am I doing? You know, what could I do differently? You know, and so I love that about um, that they're going to be driving some more development for whatever they need um, or they're going to go somewhere else. And so that's going to get a company's attention that way. So that's the biggest difference I see in this generation, that the, the newer generation in the workplace. Yeah, I think you're right. That whole idea that, you know, my job needs to be the one to provide me this stuff as opposed to. I'm going to go outside of my work and I'm going to find a mentor or I'm going to take a class or I'm going to do this thing to improve myself um, that we sort of demand it from internally is, has certainly been a shift. I think it's a good shift, right? Because it's a bit difficult to go out and, and do that thing on your own and no one knows about it. Right. right. And then expect your job to then suddenly reward you for go out and doing this. Um, and this is often why people would leave their jobs, right? They couldn't ever get that promotion up because nobody internally understood what they had become, where they had grown to. That's a good um, point. Took leaving. And that's a lot of, you see a lot of people leave and then come back, right? It was the only way they could continue their career path at a job is to get a promotion outside and then come back. You know? What a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> often they don't come back. And, right. you know, and I think the other piece to the challenge is that, that if you're, if you're needing to go outside for everything, if leaders don't know what's expected of them in the next role they're in, then how do they know what to go get from the outside? Right, right. So they don't know what they don't know. So I think that's that's a really big um, challenge is 
to drive your own development. I see a lot of leaders have trouble coming up with their own development plan. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they need to work on or what they want to be able to do next. So yeah. I think it's this joint, joint collaboration that's required. And I think with the remote work, more up your alley than mine, you know, I, I just think this is going to be more and more important that we communicate clearly that we ask what every individual needs. Individuals need different things right now than ever before. And we need to be able to ask and see what is needed for every single person, which might be slightly different and offer up some flexibility based on what they need. So I'm really anxious to read your book about that because I think it's um, it's still a bit of an unknown and people yeah. need some guidance. Well, there's definitely a lot out there. So, well, speaking of guidance, yeah. uh, final question, and then we got to run to commercial, but how can people get a hold sure. of you? What's the best way for them to reach out? What are your webs? What are your sites? What's the, give us all the details. Yeah. Well, look at my book, Leaders Deserve Better, A Leadership Development Revolution. And you can find that plus anything more about me at jennifermackin.com. Super easy if you can spell my last name, M-A-C-K-I-N, jennifermackin.com. So thank you for having me, Chris. I really enjoy talking about this topic. Uh, loved having you, Jennifer, and uh, really appreciate all your, your input and uh, you know contributing here to the show. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point, give us an update on all the awesome stuff that you're doing and uh, stay safe. And I hope your 2021 is even better. Thank you. Same to you. Same to you. Look forward to coming back. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. And we'll bring in my second guest, Sarah McVannell. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly through our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. In case you missed my last guest, um, you can catch her on uh, the rebroadcast of this show. Of course, you may know we... Uh, Throw this live show onto a podcast on iHeart, on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast. So don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you get alerted when this is up and ready. And you can listen to that interview as well as my next interview with Sarah McVannell. Um, don't forget, you can go to talentalkradio.com as well. It has all our past episodes. You can subscribe to that as well and uh, be a part of the conversation there. And speaking of being a part of the conversation, you can also go to Twitter, and you can follow at PeopleG2 and watch the live tweeting right now and be a part of that conversation. Comment, give us your thoughts, uh, make, get all the best one-liners and links to books and profiles and everything else. So hopefully you can go and do that. But let's talk about my next guest, Sarah McVannell. She's Canada's recognition expert and chief recognition officer at Greatness Magnified. Super excited to have uh, her on the show. And uh, let's just go ahead and bring her in. So Sarah, welcome. Hey, great glasses, Chris. I Thank hope you. that your members, your listeners are not being denied the pleasure of this. Well, fabulous. sometimes we do tape the video. Now, uh, this show happened to be that we didn't have video going, I don't think so. Um, but yeah, fine. people have seen them. I will tell, <laughs> I'll be honest, I'll tell you a funny story. So um, I saw these glasses online. They're ridiculous. They're gigantic. <laughs> and I got all three colors and nice. it's because I became a grandfather last year. And, um, I said, if I'm going to be a grandfather, I'm going to wear big giant grandpa glasses. <laughs> they are so the coolest grandpa glasses I've ever yeah, seen. They're actually like readers. They're just for reading, but they're gigantic. And, um, I did it as a joke 
and everyone loved them. And I'm like, well, I guess this is it forever. I'm wearing these. This is my new style. This is my new yeah. look. This is what I'm doing. So yeah, it's, it's the Seth Godin version of glasses for you, Chris. They yes, they're awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, not as cool as his. I mean, he has the coolest. Come on, ones. you're yeah. competing. You're in the same same level now. Well, uh, let's go ahead and jump into to, to today's you know conversation. Why don't you explain to everyone who you are, what you do, you know, what you're passionate about, so we kind of have a, a starting point here for our conversation. Well, I was the, that weird kid in school who could never laugh at people when they fell down and scratched their knee or were embarrassed. And I, I swear, I think that I was always designed to be the recognition expert because that, whether I chose it or not, was always my job in school. And that's what I do in my family. And that's, I think, how I've raised some pretty healthy, happy teens, despite the fact they're in lockdown right now. So really, I, I just see it. This is my mission to be able to help people see the exponential power of recognition. And it's based on being a recovering healthcare administrator. I saw how starved people were for recognition in that sector and god knows now we have shown that we've seen that outpouring of appreciation at the beginning of covid and yet where is it now so i'm hearing from so many people who who are craving it now more than ever and that that's really i think chris what we're here to talk about is how can we leverage recognition more it's so easy to do and yet it's yeah. we're often starved for it so I, I, I hate to, to start from this point, but I'm going to. So when I, in my first book, I actually did a lot of research on this. I was like, why are people getting this wrong? Because for me and my company, like we found a really easy way to do it. It's super, it works great. It's free, it's easy. And then I did the, the, the complete opposite, right? I found a big giant one that was working with Caesars Entertainment. It works really well for them. It's super sophisticated. Um, it cost them millions of dollars a year, but like it works, right? It was a, sort of two polar opposite examples of what you could do. But I'm still like shocked at how bad companies are at recognition about how they think, you know, some $5 Starbucks card is going to like give them the, the, the balance that they need for that employee for all year long. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so maybe we should talk about why does recognition matter and, and where do you think we should be starting this conversation? Well, the great news is, especially for those who have really struggled economically in these challenging times, is that probably what you found in your business, what almost everybody say in terms of their um, most preferred method of recognition is a simple thank you. Our research supports it. I'm sure your boots on the ground experience, your leadership experience supports that. Well, that's pretty hard to sell. So why are there all these fancy companies selling these fancy things to, you know, to people in fancy suits? Well, because that's what you can get people to pay for trophies and plaques and awards and, you know, swaggy dinners. Well, I'll tell you, Chris, um, the organizations that I worked with this year that have kept recognition strong when they couldn't be in the same room or essential services where they were just working their, their, you know, tails off. It's strong, connective cultures where people could see the little extraordinary moments that we miss in our ordinary lives if we're not looking for it. And that's where it starts. It's a simple thank you. Um, that's just not usually with something that is cool to put on an annual report. And yeah, that's what people want and need. Yeah. So do you think that culture can, can be defined by how much recognition is present or how much it's you know, sort of happening with inside the organization and you know what, what do we sort of use i guess to maybe to measure that or, or to use as our evidence yeah well we almost all of us are engaged in some form of satisfaction survey engagement survey and the data that we use to um, write our first book forever recognize others greatness a massive huge database that had been unmined we wanted to see, in fact, just what you're talking about. Is there any correlation to a high engagement, high satisfaction culture, if there was very high levels of recognition present? And we saw dramatically different results, statistically significant in trust in the organization, in continuous improvement behavior, in retention. I mean, I'm telling you things that you already know, right, Chris, that you're already seeing and that you've written about, you and Kim have written about in your books. Um, and so there is a dramatic difference. And yet what we often do is that we go straight to the hard stuff. We try to build trust or we try to implement this massive continu con lean continuous improvement culture. 
and we miss the building blocks. So I would never profess to anyone to say the key ingredient to your culture's recognition because that would be oversimplifying things. And it's simple to get started on the tough stuff. And given how exhausted people are, if you're working flat out right now, the toilet paper companies, the healthcare organizations, disability services, so forth, they don't have any extra time or energy. And even if your industry has collapsed, like mine, you know, the uh, speaking industry, and you're, you're struggling to make bank, the good news is what people have been wanting all along, um, and that you will build trust and you will build relationship equity that you can leverage on the other side of this are those small acts of acknowledgement and appreciation right now. You know, I think if anyone's listening out there and they're wondering, well, is my recognition program the right one or is it working and how do I know? I mean, for me, the first test is always, are the introverts in your organization getting recognized on par with your extroverts? Yeah. I love that. And because you know, it's great, us extroverts can get trophies and we can get in front of everybody and get a big round of applause. And like, that's like what we live for, right? That's like our gasoline, mm -hmm. you know, it's our energy, but not introverts, right? Yeah. And that, I think all those programs that you kind of mentioned, they really are targeted towards either extroverts or people who are very opportunistic, which isn't really what you want, right? What you want is people who did something good for someone to say thank you or to pat them on the back or, or, or whatever it is. You know, are, are there other factors or the other things that you use to kind of maybe mm -hmm. simply help someone understand if they're on the right track? Well, I love, actually, never, I never phrased it quite that way. So you and I will have to collaborate on a LinkedIn article about that. Are you, what are your introverts, introverts feeling about recognition? So, so true. Because, you know, the other component to that is, is your recognition program so painful for those extroverts that they would never want to be acknowledged because they know they're going to be called out in a meeting or the front cover of the newsletter. So what I share with folks, and I, I welcome your experience with this, Chris, is that we need to ask people, you know, that platinum rule, <laughs> treat others the way they want to be treated. And yet we kind of have, have told ourselves that we're too busy to ask and there's too much turnover to, to care. And, and yet really the people who are so loyal to you, how do you demonstrate that loyalty in return? You figure out what makes them tick. What do they value? So you gave the example earlier about the Starbucks gift card. That may be something that's really important to me. I actually need a token to, to feel acknowledged. You know, not everybody's going to need that. But if I need that, that's how, and I've worked extra hard. I want that. But maybe I have no Starbucks in my town. Maybe I hate Starbucks. They're the devil. You know, my dad ran a coffee shop and they ran them out of town. Don't give a Starbucks gift card because it's going to backfire. So find out what people's favorite restaurant is. What do they take in their coffee and their tea? Do they like pr private recognition, public recognition? And when you have things like long service events and the biggest ticket items that we spend on recognition, when was the last time you did a check-in with folks about it? You know, this has been a year of the year that we've just come out of, of reinvention. The most su successful uh, annual event, recognition event, for a disability services sector organization here in Canada was the virtual event that they put on. It cost less money. They didn't do it to cost less money, but it actually did physically right. cost less money if you don't have to rent a big banquet hall and you know pay for people's time off and so forth. And it was by far and away the most successful because they did jib jabs with the you know executive director and all the board members being goofy and they had great music and they did a kahoot and then I did I was the speaker and we did polls and it was so engaging and yet people tell themselves well we have our event when was the last time we checked in with people that that's actually how you would want your long service or your retirement or your you know best safety rating um acknowledged so check in with people. It's not it's yeah. not hard and it doesn't have to be a lot of work to do that. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of wisdom around, you know, figuring out what your people need. So this is on a very like, you know, micro level. So a leader who maybe has five people reporting to them. Yeah, it's important to know how those five people, you know, kind of work and what's going to help you motivate them. Are they a you know, bringing them a muffin or giving them a $5 mm -hmm. Starbucks card? Is that going to like give you that 
extra thing. And if you're doing it because that's a part of what makes you feel as a leader good, like if that doesn't like make you feel like you're being phony or just trying to get a little more work out of them or something, right? Is that really a part of that natural feel? But I will say that we found a little bit of the opposite that as our recognition program got better and better and it was more democratic and it was more bottom up, yeah. all of that stuff went away. Mm. Like no one ever needed that anymore because when the company had a really easy, safe way that worked for everyone. And for us, that's, we have what's called a green flag and we have a water cooler room on our Slack. Mm -hmm. And so that is a public room that everyone's in. Anything can be talked about in there as long as it's work appropriate. That's where we say, thank you. That's where you share, you know, if your kids scored a goal at soccer on Saturday or if that, if you got engaged or it's sort of our general, you know, for everybody, but that's where we thank people. And they, it's bottom up. So we actually encourage managers to do the least amount of recognition, sort of direct employees, people who are more on, you know, par with each other to do the recognition first. It happens that managers do, of course, but we don't want it to be heavy on the manager side, right? We don't want it to be top down all the time. It's, geez, mm -hmm. people noticed I did a good job. And so then they do green flags and everyone who's on there say green flag, way to go, good job. We all see it. Now there's that sense of publicness, but we didn't put anybody up on the stage to your point, right? Right. My painful introverts who would be like, that would be death mm -hmm. to me. Don't put me on the stage. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So we eliminate that. But at the same time, the extroverts still get their attention. Yes. And, and so, and then I think the other big reason that this works is we don't track them. Mm. There's no reward for how many green flags you got. There's no competition at the end of the year. There's no bonus. There's no gift card. There's, you know, there's nothing. It's just mm -hmm. purely altruistic. It's purely just, Hey, great job. Way to go. And that becomes contagious. I think. Are you um, talking about Chris, that you want people to treat each other like humans? Second, hold on. Yes. I know this is a new concept for some people, but yes. Deconstruct it. If that's oh, weird. In but, the you know, workplace though? Come on. Yeah. But what's interesting, maybe what people aren't hearing and what I'm saying is that I've created the space and we created the signposts. And that's what's important, I think, for leaders and organizations to do is where do you do it? When do you do it? And how do you do it? Because people will treat each other like humans, but if they just do it on their own and it's hodgepodgey and it's mm -hmm. messy, then it doesn't work as a strategy. Think, you know, well, it shows that you, you have skin in the game because you are creating, you're mindfully creating a way, a system in which you can exponentially spread recognition and, and you're putting some, some effort behind it. And I'm sure if people weren't doing it or it weren't still fresh in Slack, then you'd shift it to something else. If it's working, don't break, don't, don't sort right. of fix something that's not broken. And, you know, what's really, I think, so great, and again, I hope both here when they're listening to that description, is that people are not only in control of how much peer recognition they're doing, and also leader to staff, staff to leader, it's also, I get a chance to have autonomy about what I choose to share. So in other words, if what really matters to me is that my kids are successful, that's what I want to celebrate with you. If I want to celebrate, I finished my project early or we got a, a new client acquisition, great. That's what you're going to share. So, so it actually helps with reinforcing that platinum rule because I'm not going to celebrate and share publicly on this forum something that I don't care about. For people who are don't quite have that yet and who need um, some kind of um, structure to get started, because that's sort of one of the biggest things I hear is, well, what's my next step? How do I make sure it's sincere? Because this is not how I'm known or we're so busy around here. It'll seem like I just came back from a conference and I was told to do something. We definitely don't want to seem like, you know, robots. One of the quickest, easiest ways to ask people is do a bit of a, a quick survey. I, I have a, a one pager on my website, greatnessmagnify.com under cool stuff. That's just called a recognition checklist. And people can fill it out in five minutes. I used to have people when they started my team, fill it out and they would give it to me on day one. And so let's say six o'clock at night, we're all working late. I would go to your point around grabbing muffins and coffee and tea and have them exactly the kind of muffin or tea that they wanted made and brought to the team. So it cost maybe $20. 
because you know Tim Hortons is cheaper than Starbucks here in Canada. So you know twenty dollars, uh, and your dollar would go really far. So it'd basically right. be free for you. But it, you know that made people still talk about that. I don't even lead this team anymore. We don't work together anymore, and they still talk about the day that I brought everybody their own muffin like it was they joke like it was kindergarten class you know right they remember it because it was surprising and it costs virtually nothing if i had done something flash like gift cards nobody would remember so i i i almost feel silly i've said this a few times on the radio show but one of my favorite movies is one called finding forrester mm-hmm. and with sean connery it's a really good movie it's you know he's supposed to be this famous author but he's a recluse and Anyways, um, he he gives this advice to somebody and he, he was talking to a, to a young gentleman about women in general, but I've taken this sentence to be very applicable to any person in your life, especially employees. He said, he said the key to a woman's heart was an unexpected gift at an unexpected time. Mm-hmm. And I have taken that and reversed it into just people in my life or employees or vendors or clients. Um, I've seen a whole, there's a whole book, I think it's called Giftology around this, right? It's mm-hmm. better to send someone a gift and say, thank you on April 29th yeah. than it is to send them the, the normal holiday gift that everyone expects with the summer sausage and the crappy, you know, mm-hmm. stuff in there that no one's ever going to eat yeah. or they hand off to somebody else. Like doing something unexpectedly that's also thoughtful um, and, and about that person, you, mm-hmm. you, right. Remember, they remember the day you brought them a muffin and what did that cost you? Nothing. Right. right? It was a simple exactly. act of kindness. That's yeah. great. And that's, I think maybe what would be a good thing for people to anchor right now. If they think like, Oh, I do not have the time to do this stuff, or this is natural to Chris. I'm, I, I, we don't use Slack. Like there's all kinds of reasons we can think about why we can't get started. And, and they're legit. You're right. You don't have Slack. It's banned. Or, uh, you know, you you don't know if you have the time to organize everybody to start doing this. All legit. What's one small step you can make and step forward? It's not yeah. about creating a recognition strategy or program. I mean, I do that too. I help global organizations rebuild their program. And you can bet plaques are not the first thing we start with. Because when we ask employees and leaders, what works? Who is the best person you've ever worked for around here? What's the practices that that stand the test of time, no matter how busy things get. Uh, What are the rituals you used to practice that you don't practice anymore and you miss them? Similarly, what's something you've heard somebody else does that's so great that you wanna work for their team, even if it took a demotion? All of the answers are there. The wisdom is in the collective. And yet we have this, and I know you you buy into this because the example you provided is such a perfect example of, of this belief that, we seem to think that the responsibility of these initiatives is on the leader's part. And because we have so many stats thrown around, like people leave bosses, they don't leave organizations, which yes, that's been validated. And that what we don't see in the in the footnote of that stat is, however, they are definitely going to stay because it's a great, strong collective culture. So how can we be leveraging recognition to reinforce the culture that everybody wants to be a part of? And I think there was something you you said in there, and I uh, just wanted to add a little bit to it that um, about starting small. If you are in an organization, because I think most people are listening to this show, it's like when we talk at conferences, most people you're talking to maybe aren't in a position to make a change throughout the organization as a whole. Mm-hmm. And they feel like, well, if I have this great idea, I got to go back and convince the CEO or the head of HR or whatever to do this whole giant thing. Yeah. You don't have to do that. No. All all. you have to do is ask your people. You can go back and just create a program for your five direct reports or 20 people or whatever it is and make a difference. Um, And and it it may catch on, right? It may become something that spreads throughout the organization or just makes the people that you work with happier, Yeah, you know? It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. And I think that's that mindset that sometimes can help people make more changes if they realize they don't have to change everyone Mm -hmm. in order to make change happen for them. It almost implies that people in the organization need changing if that's our goal, when in actual fact, we just need to reinforce what's already working well. Well, real quick, before we're out of time, last two quick questions. Uh, First one is, is there a book that you're reading right now or maybe one that you typically suggest people check out? The book I'm reading right now is called Learning from the Octopus 
which is all about how evolutionary theory helps us to understand the biggest complex problems in the world. Um, so, but that's, that's, you know, sort of my, my, what's on my shelf right now. Um, there aren't a lot of really great recognition books. I'll be honest, I'm a little biased that, you know, the book that you and Kim have coming out is one of my favorites for the virtual world. Um, and, uh, I, there's so much in there around recognition in people. So I've been, um, consuming that on mass in my advanced virtual copy. I hope I'm allowed to mention <laughs> that that's coming out. Am I allowed to shoot? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, good, good. To be honest, the most recognition books are the how-tos. And that's just, that's like the, it, it minimizes it down to its, its technicalities. And that's, as we've just discussed, it's about the, the human experience. So I would say you're going to get way more value from reading books like Dare to Lead, which is all around vulnerability and courage and um, having courageous conversations, including courageous, abundant-oriented conversations. Um, and of course, even though it was written six years ago, I'm a big fan of my book, Forever Recognize Others' Greatness, because it's it's all about what we, we practiced and we taught teams imploding at the seams how to do. Start with recognition, and everything else is going to get easier. If you don't have appreciation and acknowledgement as part of the fabric of your, your team, there is no way we're going to be able to come back from the most difficult issues that we're dealing with. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the great book recommendation. It's I've already added it to my uh, to my list of possible awesome. things to read. Looks like it doesn't have an audible version, which could be a struggle for me. I do listen to most of my books. So, but final question, most important question is: is how can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, I'd love for folks to jump over to my website. There's probably lots of cool things that they can use under cool stuff. So greatnessmagnify.com. And of course, if folks want to connect with me uh, through social, I'm on all of them except TikTok because I've been banned from TikTok because I have teenagers. I don't think there's anything I need to add in that would be a value on TikTok anyway. Uh, so all other main forms of social media, I am there and trying very, very hard not to embarrass my teenagers while there. Well, I think that, see, if they told me I couldn't go on there, I'd be on there in two seconds. <laughs> I, you know, to be honest, I actually have, and it's super boring. And, and I'm, I just feel like it's a strobe light. It's I can't even ground my, my attention to one thing. <laughs> I, I shouldn't tell you this, but if you like the stuff that you like and just immediately disappear out the stuff you don't like, it has the best algorithm in all of social media. And within a couple of days, it, you start getting stuff that's so impactful to you. Okay. Um, early right. on, it's like stupid people. Like, well, I shouldn't say for me, stupid people dancing, doing stuff I don't care about. Yeah. But as soon as you like the stuff that every once in a while you get something that's good, that is their key. That is like their gold nugget is they have the best algorithm. So See, there you go. Great tip. Thank yeah. you for that, Chris. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the show today. Hopefully we will have you come back. We'll have you share more, uh, you know, in the coming months or years. And can't wait to uh, hear what you think about the book once you get to read it all the way through. So feel free to tell anyone you like. That's always, what is that? All, all publicity is good publicity. So, yes, so, I love yeah. it. Thank you. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 